Redwood Soundwell. The life of a man, burn it in the fire. The life of an insect, throw it in the fire. When you realize the world is dark, life is just a dream, lose yourself in the real war project. This is Batch 4, Episode 2. We watched Akira Kurosawa's 1958 adventure, The Hidden Fortress. Good to see you. Happy uh, uh, Hidden Fortress Day. We're here to finally talk about this. We had to kick it a week. Also want to say hi to Eli. Hi, Eli. Hello, Aaron. Uh, you're new, new on our show. You're going to be in and out. You're editing, you're producing, and you're here to talk about this amazing movie with us. Welcome. Have you seen Throne of Blood? No. That's another Kurosawa. And this is the only Kurosawa I've seen. How many Kurosawa films have you seen? Uh, this one. Throne of Blood, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, um, some other Toshiro Mifune one that was not a samurai one at all. It was set in like the 60s. And this movie's pulpier than most of their stuff I was reading. Like most of their stuff is like more thoughtful and, and this is more of like a big family swashbuckling adventure that they made. To... As far as tropes, the samurai tropes are way harder in the rest of them. You know what I mean? Huh. Like the... A Throne of Blood is actually Hamlet or Macbeth. It's Macbeth, I think, um, but set in feudal Japan. Huh. Interesting. It's really, yeah. it's rad. I don't know a lot about samurai stuff. I've had a few friends that are like really interested in that stuff, and I've just never gotten into it. Um, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if this is a samurai movie, and I didn't want to say it was, but it felt like one. Uh, then it's probably my first one I've ever seen. It might be my first samurai movie I've ever seen. So Seven Samurai obviously is Magnificent Seven. You know, mm-hmm. it's the yeah. origin of Magnificent I've read a lot seven. about Seven uh, Samurai, or whatever. Yeah, I've definitely read that yeah. like name a lot. Uh, yeah. Rashomon is the premise for all of like the Dollars trilogy, Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More. Like that's all based off of Rashomon, which is I mean. It's bodyguard in uh, Japanese, um, but Throne of Blood is my favorite because it's it's super theatrical. He bases all of the like imagery off of um, no theater, which is like an older form of kabuki. Um, mm-hmm. So they have like very, and you can see some of the shots similar in this one where you can see these like very still framed faces and shit like that. Um, like they're wearing masks. The way like Princess Yuki looks is very similar to that like uh, mm. no theater mask it was um i felt it was reminiscent of a um of a people called the romulans when i saw princess yuki mm-hmm. yeah her hair covered the top of her ears so it was hard to tell for sure but she seemed to be a romulan mm-hmm. i could see that charles um, we watched the um, Dam Busters last episode. That was Batch um, for episode one. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that movie we said like the whole ending of it is the Death Star run. That is Star Wars. That is, it just looks like Star Wars to me. And I sent you the text when I saw this. My very first thought, and I just it hit me immediately before I'd even really thought about it, is that we were looking at R two D two and C three PO. Like this is mm-hmm. another one of those movies that's obviously inspired Star Wars, and I feel like you can see it if you're a a New Hope fan. Right. It's like everywhere, even though it doesn't really it didn't keep it was like supposed to be a remake I read and it didn't survive all those edits, but it's still there. Right. It's all over the place, especially particularly in the version where they've added in like some of the new footage, the new old footage, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they have the scene where 3PO and R2 draw straws to see which one of them gets to rape Princess Leia. (sighs) Charles. um. (laughs) And that's when I was like, oh, my God, he just stole that great. Okay idea from an older movie so, weird crazy yeah that's that's um that's a delicate <clears throat> way of, of of mentioning this charles um this movie is absolutely full of that stuff and holy crap um is it like over the top isn't it fun to have two movies where they're like how would you tie these two together and you're right. like i tied them together because they both have th- a thing where i wouldn't want to see that very much anymore in there we're getting a very explicit tour of like the priorities <laughs> of the 50s and 60s right like it's and, and i said like last episode two with damn busters i'm like well at least they're honest and i think that that's true here as well when we talk about instance uh you know someone uh we were talking in the chat i think it was like eli or something you were the one that said like you were surprised at how rapey this was and we were talking about toxic masculinity and i'm like well this movie's inspiring generations of men so it makes plenty of sense that that's what's going on there charles in a nutshell what's going on in this movie it was called by criterion um, Armand White said the hidden fortress holds a place in cinema history comparable to Ford's stagecoach lays out the plot of characters for an on the road epic of self-discovery and heroic action. Is that fair? If not, what's going on? Yeah, I think that's kind of fair. Yeah. I don't know what the discovery it's... is. We'll, we'll come back to that maybe later, but. Oh man, I mean, they discovered some gold, my friend. Yeah. The best discovery of, of all. Okay. What's the, what's the plot here? We, we, we have two well, ne'er-do-wells, and they find gold in a princess and a samurai? We have, yeah, we have two guys who seemingly are only friends through um, through awful circumstances. And they find themselves mixed up with a general and a princess of a defeated army or a defeated people trying to, like, return back to their to their safe land. And, and and there's gold and these guys are completely motivated also by the lost gold from like one of these castles of this right. uh of right. this clan and they're spear fighting and that's basically it well when you put it like that it sounds pretty simple but it's like two hours and 20 minutes <laughs> and it's not mm-hmm. i mean it, it like you do you like it did you enjoy this movie i as i was watching it i texted eli i said i love this movie mm. i i just when it finished up and you know it was on the the end part i was like i just i enjoyed the shit out of that yeah Honestly, despite the despite the parts that I didn't like, those guys were never seen as heroes, I don't think, no. unlike the heroes of our previous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's a fair so, point. Yeah. Yeah. Here we have the heels doing the thing. Um, 
Although their th- th- yeah, their their thing is always vilified. I feel like by everybody else who is portrayed as a better person than them. Yeah, it normalizes it a lot throughout. You see it in other places throughout the movie. Just talking generally about sexualized violence and objectification of women here. Um, and I think that kind of like with the last movie that drags an otherwise fairly enjoyable movie fairly substantially. Um, it it felt like a like a pirate adventure to me. It felt like an old Disney movie to me. It really did. It felt like um a kind of um like like big journey adventure like I said and I think that if I was the same age I was when I saw Star Wars, I probably would have really enjoyed this movie. I, w- I would have gotten real wrapped up in it. Um I struggled through it. It was a little long. Um, I definitely understand why it is so significant, and I'm, I'm really glad I saw it, kind of like the last movie. But, yeah, I was kind of mixed on it. Mm. No, I enjoyed it very much, but uh, let's get right into yeah. the recap. This is Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress, 1958. Um, the Hidden you know Fortress what? I think doesn't def- play a very big role in this movie. Why is it the title of the movie, Charles? What's that all about? That's one of those discoveries, right? That was an exciting discovery. Um, I don't know really much. I wonder if there is a cultural thing to the Hidden Fortress. I do not know. Um, I was going to say... The actual hmm. title is The Three Villains of the Hidden Fortress. Oh, the three villains? So the three villains are who? Who are the three villains? The three villains of the Hidden Fortress. I think it's... um, well, it's got to be heat, dirt, and and greed. And blisters. Hardcore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zeppo and uh, I'm like, there's. It no... must be the two women in the waterfall, right? In my mind, I'm like, and, there's no trio in this movie. There's no trio. Well, there's well, there's the the bully and the two despicable guys that we don't really like <laughs> um, torturing each other in the. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, it opens the, on Makashichi and Tahe, and they are just just really mad at each other. They're all torn up. They're um fighting. They're saying you smell like dead bodies. You smell like vomit. You smell like piss. They they say all of this stuff a lot. They talk about corpses multiple times. They say you smell like shit. He spits on him. We talk a lot about um, abjectification, abjectification, and how we make something abject. And um, one of the fundamental mechanisms of abjectification is to, to mess with boundaries, to take the inside and put it outside, and the outside to put it inside. And they talk a lot about, like, shit and spit and all of this stuff. So basically, this movie opens on us just really not liking these two people. hmm Right? This is a very um, authentic troop thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just hit a point where you don't have anything nice to say about the other person that's with you, even though you kind of like them, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I, I definitely have more to say about that as we go through this movie. But um, a big part of masculine bonding is demeaning other men. That's a big part of masculine uh-huh. bonding is putting other men down and things like that. And it was Kristeva. Kristeva is the one that I'm referencing when I talk about objectification being the troubling of borders inside to outside, outside to inside. It's hmm. it's very military, and it did. It made me. These two made me think a lot of our conversation, Charles, throughout this show. That has been like, like what what makes a soldier just like meaningless, dehumanizing labor. That's these two. Mm-hmm. Right? That's these two. So we get two great pals who have seen better days roast each other. Mm-hmm. Late to the war, they are captured and enslaved by their own side. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I read all that. That's hilarious. Too, and I was man. like, he's not doing this very well. And I'm like, what kind of commentary are we getting on war here? Because that's that's literally one of the things we're trying to do. So I'm going to ask you that maybe at the end, but here right away, it's like, what role does the war play? It's not a horror film. It's not the monster, right? It's um, it's uh, it's in the way. It's <laughs> it's, like, it's, um, it's like I was wondering during the movie. I was thinking these people are really only the bad guys to their to their own side, right? Like to, to the, to R2 and C3PO here, uh, to Mata, Mata Shishi and Tahe, um, aren't those the, their own people that are keeping them from, from going home the, yeah. the entire time? Like they're constantly getting wrapped up with the wrong side <laughs> and being punished for it and just not even allowed to go home to their village where they sold their house. Oh, they sold their houses so that they could buy like armor and swords, um, <laughs> which were confiscated from them. You see what I'm saying? This movie is, <laughs> it. it's one of the weirdest movies when it comes to like, it, it's not a war movie. I felt like it's more like an adventure movie, but war is very prevalent in it. It's very prevalent in it. <laughs> it's constantly harassing them. It, it's not glorifying it at all though. It's like, like, Nobody that none of the soldiers are good. None of this. All most of the soldiers we meet are terrible. They're almost all terrible, with the exception of Roku Rota, who's pretty much out of it, and the dude who changes his mind at the end. Yep. It's like this movie is put in the war as like background noise and basically the the, the kind of prime component to these two's misfortune, but not because the war is bad, because they're just like bad at it. <laughs> no, I mean I think the war is bad because everybody that. I mean, it, it definitely seems to have upended a bunch of stuff around in their in their lives. Yeah. This is another um, bloodless war. This is a pretty like there's a lot of marching and huff and puff and shooting and things, but you don't see a whole lot of like actual war. We see kind of like aftermath and wreckage right. and stuff like that yeah. of of the war. These two look pretty um, torn up. Like Tahe's mm-hmm. shirts missing from the armpits down, basically. <laughs> they look absolutely destitute. Um, they're just you know. A, they they're haggard and yeah. the other line they, that came up they from defi- Star Wars is like we droids have been made to suffer it seems to be our lot in life I'm like that's these two that is these two <laughs> <laughs> so um so as they're bickering um and they and they go back and forth a guy comes like they hear a bunch of horses and a guy who has been like all messed up and stabbed and everything comes like stumbling in and then the guys on the horses like stick him to death and he falls over, and then the guys on the horses turn back around and almost dang run over his head. Did you watch that? You texted it to me, and I went back and watched it, and I was like, Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, instead of losing his dang mind... I just put in the chat that he's going to hear R2-D2 calling C-3PO a shitworm from now on, and that's like my... <laughs> Kate, Kate and I had this whole thing on the Alien Movie Project about how every time R2-D2 was talking, he was just swearing. Like he's actually speaking, they're just censoring everything. He's, he's just that foul mouthed. So Mata CG is definitely C three PO or definitely R two D two, right? Yes, he's he. Well, he's the shorter one. Yeah, and he's scrappy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tahe is kind of yeah. They, yeah. they both seem and he kind of does vacuous, the... right? <laughs> um. Don't you have any pride? We've been stripped of the arms we sold our homes for. 
Um, they're looking at the dead guy there, and they're contemplating whether or not they should rob his dead body. You could t- you could and, see him huffing and puffing, right? The dead body laying in the road. Like, that dude was breathing hard and holding that pose, and I'm like, this is a long take. I feel like I feel like a lot of this could be shot from the waist up on these two people, but that dude is sitting there with his arm up in the air, just breathing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, an can absolute we, pro. Can we get a dummy or something? <laughs> like, help this guy out. Like, woof. Almost ain't got his head stomped in and by then, a fucking horse. <laughs> like, that's just wild to me. I liked how I really liked how this movie made the sounds of horses' hooves is scary. That jumped out mm-hmm. at me right away. The sounds of the military, you're going to hear some horns. The drone horns at the end were super scary. And there's a little bit of like chanting when, when troops go by. But by and large, the sound of the military are these horse hooves. And they, they are. They're scary. When you hear that, it's like bad news bears. Hey, Tonga! We talked about the big parade, and I think this is the first movie with subtitles that we've watched. And with the big parade, you're really locked to their faces, but they have to, like we said, mime a lot. They're really over the top with the way that they perform. Whereas here, you cannot watch their faces as much because you have to kind of read the words. And I, too, was like listening, but because of the order of the things that will be said, like Japanese, like a lot of languages will rearrange the order of where subjects and, you know, things happen in the sentence. And it's... It it makes comprehension a very active, active, active task, for sure. Marashichi, um, he stays behind to to rob the dude because the guy has like some armor on him. But you he know, doesn't looks have like he it might later. Have his... He robs him, but he doesn't. Later on, he goes wandering into the town. That's when he reads the bulletin right. board. But he's not carrying he finds out... the armor. I, th- I expected him to go wandering into he's town. He's wearing it. Is he? Oh, I didn't see him wearing it. Yeah, no, yeah, he's wearing it. He looks like haggard with it, but he wanders in wearing it. And then when the soldiers run in, that's why they round him up with everybody else. They like stab all the guys with him. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> he's like, it's not one of consistently them. hilarious watching uh, watching people get killed. The border is closed and Tahe is uh, is wrapped up with some of um, the losing side mm-hmm. who are trying to cross the border. Mm-hmm. See, this is where I'm confused. What border is this? <laughs> they drew a map. They we got another dirt they, map. But where are those guys that they're with? In theory, is that not the princess's guys? Eli says yes. Yeah. So I thought of it kind of like Cold Mountain, where it's like if you're of military age and you're not marching in a troop, then they're going to round you up as a deserter. Why are they trying to go deeper into that? That's the border to Habayaka or whatever the other neighboring town is. Um, it's a neutral. It's a neutral um, province or whatever. I got it. Got it. Oh, right. And this is what okay. I brought up later. These two guys are smart enough to know to go into Yamana mm-hmm. to get into the other side of the town through a lesser border. And our general, who's legendary apparently, didn't think mm-hmm. that up. It was like, it's the reason that he decides to use them. He hears them saying that and then he bursts out laughing because it's such a great idea and he never would have thought of it himself, but it came from these guys, yeah. Uh-huh. That does seem fairly basic. It seems fairly basic. I mean, basic. it does seem fairly basic. I mean, He also says he needs bodies to carry the gold, so maybe he was right. playing it anyway. But that makes that one plot point fairly unnecessary. Anyway, 
I just kind of thought of it as like if you look of a certain age and you're not enlisted in the current companies, like wh- whoever's in charge now, you're going to get rounded up as somebody. And it made it like that to yeah. me too was like really scary where they're like, we can't move until it gets foggy. It was just like, that mm-hmm. is awful. You're just going to lay there and hope it gets foggy or you're going to end up in a prisoner of war camp or impressed to fight for some side, I guess. I don't know. It was super scary, I thought, because it just seemed like, I think it, it was, I think the war is kind of a horror thing in here because it's just lurking around everywhere, sort of harassing people. Yeah. But at the same time, two of our heroes, you know, it's like we don't, we're, we kind of don't like our, our main characters, but like the two heroic characters are sort of the reason for war. The, like what are they? Roku, Rhoda, and and Yuki—they're the part of the, the the problem. They're the people that started the war. I mean, are they? I mean, one of them is a general, and one of them is is of the ruling class, yeah. right? Like, we've talked. Like, are, one of the very first hmm. things we said on Paths of Glory was that we want to have a conversation about like the different strata of um, officerdom in the military and talk about like a comparison between a general at the top that's like pretty much involved in the war effort going on and then these idiots that are just like stumbling down the road and you're right like in in again i don't know the politics of this particular war but my understanding is that you're right that the princess would be one of the diplomatic people involved and that the general would be someone you know standing around the big board directly involved <laughs> with sending people to their doom yeah pushing the toys across so, the map being like here's where they go it's interesting yeah but but modest shishi shishichi and tahe are so low on the rung that it doesn't matter what side they're on right you know like it's like they're going to be used for some type of slave labor yeah in some way yeah it's interesting so basically, they both get caught, and at right about the 10-minute mark, you'd mentioned the poster that Princess Yuki is on, and I made a note of this. Princess Yuki shows up at 7 minutes and 1 second into this movie. Her name's on a poster. We don't actually see her. We're going to see her a little later. She's not going to say anything when we see her. We're going to have to wait even longer for that. And the first thing that she says is going to be yelling at the guy that like saved her life, which isn't the best like opening lines for a character, but... um. Like we've said, like she has pretty prominent place throughout this movie and the, um, you know, seven minutes in they're they're, they're telling us that she's going to be part of it. And compared to pretty much every yep. other movie we've seen, that's pretty substantial. Like I can't think of. Yeah. So we, up until now, it's Sally yeah, we learned from Strategic that, Air mm-hmm. Command that has had the most like ability to hold her own and be a character. Right. So. I guess so. And then we also had um, Shireen, I think, from uh, Beast. from Beast of War. Yeah, the people mm-hmm. that just straight up slaughtered the Russian tank crew. They won yeah. the tank. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. Princess Yuki of Akizuki mm-hmm. um, is worth 10 Rio for her capture. Right. And then if you have, um, if you only have the info for her, it's worth three Rio. Right. I loved how when they both get captured, they end up going opposite ways on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And and before we see them just and you see this with R2D2 and C3PO a lot. And I think it, it's a good way of making these characters look especially petty and especially like convenience driven is that when we first saw them, they hated each other and they split up. And now that they're going opposite ways, their wailing for each other is like, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but only when they have nothing else. Right, they have no, exactly. The moment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um he's uh these katahe is captured he goes not grave digging again yeah. <laughs> um i question i put a question here in my notes i said what does honor in war matter to a peasant beyond 
beyond enriching yourself. I said, Yamano, Yukizuki, who cares when you're on the bottom? Yeah. Well, and again, that's what's really interesting about them being like the opening line is we lost our armor that we sold our houses to buy to go fight in the war. It's like they went off to be heroes and this is where I put them. <laughs> it's great. As a pacifist, I'm a fan. I love that message. It's a good <laughs> message. They're, they're made to dig for gold in the uh, basement of a uh, destroyed castle. Oh, that was scary. It looks like... It looks pretty awful. It's like they're packed into a mosh pit that is like waist deep filled with water. It looks like a true misery. Um, he calls them moles. Fun, fun. He says that there's gold buried in the mountain, which is something apparently that is like a lore that people would do. Like emperors and things would bury gold coins in a pit and make people dig them out to move all that dirt. Um, mm-hmm. Also sets up the uh, sets up the gold that um, the, that has gone kind of gone missing, like the riches of this. Yep. Uh, it definitely made me think here. of the end of Dam Busters, though, where um, we talked about how you know one thousand people were killed and most of them were forced laborers when they flooded uh, all of that <laughs> valley in Germany. That definitely would have included our heroes here in this little mine. Yep, for sure. That would have been the end of that movie. (laughs) At 11.40 into the movie, uh, we see all of the sleeping workers in the destroyed castle. And we see the guards walking through, kicking people like like the bad guy in Kung Pao walking through the square. This scene was huge. I was really impressed with the size of like the fortress. I, I'm like, this has to be the hidden fortress. I'm like, here it is, the hidden fortress. I thought they were going to get out and tell the other army where the hidden fortress was. This was me trying to circle the square in the intro, but it was like a, it was a huge set. It was rocks. There were all of these like like huge wooden spikes. There's also these big wooden structures. You've got lots of extras. It seems like hundreds of extras. And then all at once, the the laborers just jump the crew. I said workers uprising, overthrowing the cops. I'm again. Um, I'm a and then fan. I wrote, I'm a fan. I'm like, do it. <laughs> Take them all out. Like, go get it. And the guns only get you so far. Just like, uh, just like, man who would be king. Yeah. You know? Like you can only get so far with that. It, we had a good conversation about how movies tend to overpower guns. Um, this movie, I'm not sure if it does that or not. It's interesting, but you definitely see them coming down the stairs, getting staggered, and then just totally overwhelming the people with firearms. As it's going on. Um, Matashichi and uh, Tahei kind of sneak off to the side and there's just pandemonium around them. Yeah. A huge giant battle. And they say, if we die, let's die together. And they're <laughs> hugging each other as like best friends <laughs> and everything. And um, they're just expecting to get killed any second. And then the battle just passes them by. Yep. And suddenly it's just quiet around them. And then they open their eyes and Morgan Freeman's looking down at them. (laughs) Picks them up. You all right there, Captain? (laughs) Gives him a little kick with his boot to make sure he's okay. Yeah. um, It's very similar to Glory where Shaw just basically lays down and lets Antietam just blow right on by, which I had said is a pretty good choice then. And I thought this was a pretty good choice now. I'm like, that worked out pretty well for them. 
This is how you win a war as a soldier. People, take some notes. Uh, They steal some rice, we see in a very quick shot. They steal some rice and they're just running off. That was so quick. Um, (laughs) They are cooking the rice and then they plan to, um, and they start planning on getting the reward. Yep. Yeah, the rice won't cook. The the wood won't burn. and And they're trying to get home and then they pick up and they throw the piece of wood and then they hear this incredibly loud ding sound. Mm-hmm. And so they go and they investigate. They fishing it out, mm-hmm. yeah. And they spend quite a bit of time, but they find it. Yeah, there it is. The missing gold of the Akizuki clan. Mm-hmm. It's in a stick. How? How do you? How would you put? I think they cut the stick in half, and then they just like, and then they like put, they're making. But, but every time they, they took the gold back. out, they had to like break it. It was like it was like a. Solid I don't think stick. you had to break it because later on, like when um. When he, um, when Toshiro Mifuni right. goes over, he just like unsheaths it right. pretty much. Like he, uh, okay. yeah. All right. Well, that, that, that makes me happy. Anyway, bunch of th- th- this. You this... get excited with the gold. You just want to smash it. You know, it's fun to smash a thing. Yeah. And it's fun when you smash it. And then there's, it's like a Christmas popper. Yep. So they, um, they, they, they throw the, the knife and they discover that it's made of, or they, they hear the dinging at 1604 and they continue to look for more gold until 1908, which is like literally three entire minutes. Like, and in, in movie economy, that's a lot. That's a lot. If they're like, let's just spend three minutes looking for gold, like, we're just going to look for gold for three minutes. It, like, there's got to be someone that's like, well, the movie's two hours and 18 minutes long. Maybe we could cut down some of the looking for gold here. But, but they really want to emphasize that these guys like gold. <laughs> they are very desperate to get it because this is important to the plot later at like three or four points, I feel like, right? They cannot go back with nothing. Right. It's so important for them that they go back with something. Well, they have that one. And they can't... But that's the problem is that they can't just settle for the something. Right. It's the moment that they get the something, they need to have even more of it and then they need to fight over it. At any it. point in time, they both this could movie. have just taken two sticks with gold in it and just... But instead, they had to kind of go for everything. This movie is about the working class being made to fight against each other. I told Kate this movie hates poor people a lot. This movie hates poor people a lot, and I feel like this is definitely that, which is like, we're just going to spend three minutes making fun of these dudes in the water looking for sticks. (laughs) That's an expensive Um, point to make, but there they go. (laughs) So while they're bickering, they realize that there's a total stud watching them. Yeah, just an absolute beefcake is standing at the top of a mountain, looking down at them, and his effing thighs are just to die for. I wrote the word "dreamboat." That's what I wrote. And I said, mm-hmm. "This guy is a clear dreamboat. <laughs> he's just yeah. he's way so, up up this little valley. There's like this big crack in the rocks, and he is just standing there in the power stance, legs spread, the, the stance that Yuki just <laughs> permanently holds. Princess Yuki knows no other way to put her feet but like that. Um, <laughs> and this is Rokurota, and he says." nothing they see him and they freeze because they don't know who he is and they just kind of try to slink off and i thought of the end of the man who would be king when when the wife bit the guy and they all tried to walk out of there like they pooped their pants and they didn't want anyone to realize it was the same walk it was just like nobody noticed us we're just gonna try to walk away and they think they lose him almost lose. yeah him. they think that they yeah they think that maybe they've gotten out of his uh, little territory there they go back to their camp they wonder if he's a bandit and a lumberjack this is their suspicion. It could be either one. Right. With, that, with those legs, it could be either <laughs> one. Um, 
they go they go to their little camp and go there to spend the night because after all they can go and look for more gold later on yeah they're go- best to be safe about day. it mm-hmm. they keep discussing the gold and how they're going to split it up and then this um absolute beefcake shows up <laughs> and he silently just like walks over and then makes a total power move sits down with his back to them mm-hmm. um with scary because music. he's just Mm -hmm. because he's that big of a guy we talk a lot about masculinity in my critical listening and thinking class and from Trujillo to Katz what everyone that writes about it is going to tell you is that masculinity is defined in and of itself but it is also defined off of other characters Um, we all know masculinity comes at the expense of women we see that throughout this movie but this is just an exceptional and explicit example where the movie is like here's the kind of guy this guy is by counterposing him to these two idiots. They both say, hey, and then like chicken out when he just gives them a look. He says nothing. They And, and you know, like both of them kind of try the same thing. The first one says, hey, and what? then he says, good evening. That's Tahe. And then the second one says, uh, Matashichi says, hey, and then he looks and he says, oh, it's a cold night tonight, isn't it? It's cold. So in each instance, he's not saying anything. He's got his back to them. They've got all the power in the world. They're trying to be tough, and then they chicken out. And all this movie is saying is that, once again, in Charles's terms, beefcake, dreamboat, heartthrob. Pretty sure this is the guy. When we call Matashichi and Tahe lesser characters, what we mean is, like, they're not as great as this guy. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Yeah, so they have to sit down to hide their boners, and <laughs> at 2440, they do some terrain model work, like in some of our previous, um, like in some of our previous movies, um, they get to draw a map in the ground, but they don't have cool figurines. It would have been rad if one of them like whittled out some figurines of enemy military guys. Yeah, or just picked up a log and walked over to a, a cave wall where they had this great big board. And, uh, you know, then they could just hold it up there and look at it. Um, it was fun listening to them. If they had the wagon at that point, they could have used that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go on. Well, I was just going to say, um, we talk a lot, too, about the saying and the said. This is from Levinas. The said are the words that you say, and the saying is how you say it. And Levinas says it is the saying that communicates, not the said. And here, when you listen to them laying out their plans, you can tell they are lying. The, the, The movie is not so much saying these are their plans that are smart. They didn't think of this plan. They're making up a lie on the spot that just so happens to be smart because they're basically trying to explain why they're here he's like what are you doing here and they're like uh this is what we're trying to do and they both kind of check off each other and you could hear it in their hesitation of their voices even if you don't speak Japanese it was like this is a good example of where the saying is pretty clear you want to hear the first thing Roku Rota says? It's this laughter. <laughs> Power move. <laughs> absolutely badass. Um, they take absolutely the worst way up a wash. Um, <laughs> it takes so long. 
It takes so long. We see every little bit of it. We just see them bickering the entire time. We see the ground just moving beneath their feet as they barely get anywhere. Maybe that's a metaphor. Twenty, Yeah, no, exactly. 2739 to 2913 or so. So again, we're going to spend about two minutes watching these dudes scramble up this rock. And I thought a lot about the gravel sounds that we listened to for the Afghanistan uh, series that we did and just like the sounds of sliding rocks and dirt um, and how that's kind of war soundy to me. Um, that's one of the kind of effects. And I love your point that it's like they're, they're moving as hard as they can and they're going absolutely nowhere because they're taking a route that they do not need to take. Mm-hmm. And they're getting in each other's way the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not to like the end where they realize there's hard rock on the wall. If you just like hold on to the hard <laughs> rock on the wall, you can just put your feet up against that and make your way up. But no, let's mm-hmm. take right, right, up, right on up, right up the middle. The studs already way ahead of them. They uh, they get to the top and they see the hidden fortress. It looked like Uncle Owen um, and Aunt Baru's place. It was way down in a little hole there. They're looking down <laughs> on it like, oh, that looks like Star Wars. So what the hidden fortress seems to be is a. Um, it's just kind of like a couple of structures, but then also seemingly a lot of caves. Yeah, um, dug into the side of a uh, into a series of mountains that are pretty hard to navigate, and so it it gives them pretty much exactly that a hidden fortress. It's not a with a spring, a really nice spring. They were commenting on how nice it's a the nice water spring. Was. Yeah, and yeah, like that would be pretty pretty slick. Right. So as long as nobody knew that you were there, I mean, it's probably not the best defensible thing, but we found that, um, you know, as long as you are sneaky about it, you can potentially hole up there a long time. Um, you think you could assault Rukuroto's hidden fortress, dude? No way. He'd take, yeah, he would take you out. He'd be such a pain in the <laughs> ass. He would take so many freaking casualties. That's why we had to, that's why we had to nuke him, my friend. Yeah. Um, Rokuroto, we learned. I just want Charles and his Humvee crew trying to get in there. That's what I want. Just hanging back and just looking with our binoculars and then sending in the rest of the battalion. <laughs> and then calling nobody. <laughs> and then just <laughs> right. sleeping on it. Um, so we learned that Tashiro Mifune is Rokurota Makabe, mm-hmm. and he is a legendary samurai general. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say that he's no general. He's only a bully. Mm-hmm. Well, he basically treats them like garbage. So I think that that's pretty mm-hmm. fair to say. I mean, it's it's obvious and explicit throughout that he plays pretty much everybody like a piece. He 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 has conversations with with people, but never transparently, genuinely, honestly. It's always some kind of manipulation process. This is true with Yuki. This is true with them. It's pretty much the way he does his thing. I think. Although she sees through him, but right. these two idiots. <laughs> Um, they just are completely motivated by their greed, and he sees that immediately. So they're only putting up with his nonsense because they're convinced that he's going to split these 200 gold pieces with them three ways. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's See, that's the other messed up thing about this movie um, is that these guys are only going along because this absolute stud has promised them a three-way. <laughs> So anyway, they just took one look at those legs and they're like, if we could have legs like that, uh-huh, we'll go along. We could be kings. So they're obsessed with uh, splitting the gold. They learn about the secret tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mad they... that he told them to go the wrong way and he does not really give them any explanation for why he did that. It's just funny. Yeah. It's just funny. And then it's later he makes move. him dig a bunch of dirt as a test. It's just a little test. A little test there. It's just a test. Um, they see the spring, and then they see, holy crap, a lady. 
and um, the two idiots run immediately after her. Why? Why would you do that? I mean, we know why. Yeah. Because they want to rape her. Because we're normalizing sexual um, aggression and masculinity. Typically as a way of, again, debasing a lesser character, right? Perversion and horniness is something that we cast on the less rational. I wanted to make the comparison between um, the uh, king in uh, the uh, fucking man who would be king and that that sold Mm. his daughter and how he is just like lusty and like way over the top. He seemed like he could have been these two people. It was a very similar kind of performance, just super animated, you know? super horny, super pervy. It's it's just the way that you, you situate rationality, which is the counterpoint to all of this as like the the pinnacle of civilized living, I guess. Interesting on Man Who Would Be King how they showed that character, that horny character being a uncivilized dirtbag, but then the supposedly civilized king um takes a woman against her will right. so that he can rape her. He gets thrown off a bridge. Um so and he gets thrown off a bridge. But he gets to keep that crown. Princess Yuki gets some pretty badass music when she shows up. Again, she doesn't say anything, but this is we get an extremely low angle shot looking up at her. Like she looks pretty powerful. She is viewing them. Um and then this is what we hear. And in my notes I was like like war movies are just so fired up about like women with presence. It's like, whoa, there's one. It's like looking at a unicorn. <laughs> That's what I felt like. They find themselves digging just in the dirt, as we learn later on. It's for nothing. Um, it's just to keep them busy until they eventually need to move out and have them carry the gold. To build strength so they could carry the gold. <laughs> it's just physical conditioning. <laughs> uh, so I guess technically this is basic training. Um I mean, they did show up to the war late after all. Right. Um, I hate the way you blink and I hate your teeth. They are just yelling at each other. I said they need class solidarity, these two. They do. They do. They, they, mm-hmm. But they, they, they just can't handle it. They're too incompetent. And every time they try, they betray each other immediately. Right. I mean, it says something almost to the American psyche. It's that they, they constantly need to one-up each other and they're fighting each other all the time instead of instead of you know, some solidarity with your neighbor. It also um, does a lot, I think, to empower Roku Rota as like the kind of consummate loner throughout this movie. Like he has to take care of Princess Yuki and things, but he's not attached to her in any way. He has to like follow her orders, but he talks with the other general and the woman in waiting about what to do with her as though she's not in charge. Um and he makes plans. He just makes plans and does things. That's what happens. Whereas these two just bicker, fight, complain, whine, betray. Uh, they just can't get it together. They um, they say to Rokuroda, we agreed to split everything in three. The girl should be the same. Yep. And so without discussing with anybody, he splits her in twain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and gives one of them the legs, another one a bit of a torso, and then he takes the upper mm-hmm. half or like shoulders and up and it's messed up. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the female character of the movie. It's freaking nuts. Didn't see the it rest coming, of it but... is pretty much a horror film from there. <laughs> it's so explicit. And everyone's going to say it's a product of its time and all of these things. And like, it's just like, again, what, what we said between Dan Busters and this, we're just getting really honest representations of the way women were viewed by the folks making cinema. Mm-hmm. Aaron says that movies aren't truth. It's true. And it's true. Well, 
Bell Hook says giving you reality is exactly what movies do not do. So, <laughs> but here it is giving you some reality. Here it is right. Being honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so they're they're saying they're saying that there is no gold here, that they're digging for no reason. And then they say, it's actually probably in the spring. Mm-hmm. He told us that it wasn't in the spring. It's probably in the spring. And then they go to the spring to, and then they see um, the lady there and they think, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we raped her? And so they start, a, chase her. they start approaching on her, but thankfully she's more capable th- than them in absolutely every way. And she can just toy with them. And then I wrote, it's definitely fun to wail on some low-level grunts. Yeah, it's a good example of where they are always, it's, it's, like, it's like that Pepe Le Pew thing where he's always chasing and she's always dodging. And, and we're going to like credit her and her evasiveness and we're definitely going to look down on them for their perversions. But the fact that we're going to, again, spend so much time and money in what I would imagine to be a fairly expensive and already very long movie doing all of this continues to normalize that process or at the very least be like this is something that happens even if it is propping up her and coming at their expense we're gonna say it's still like replicating the process and encouraging the behavior again it tells me a lot about where george lucas comes from i feel like it's it's just really informing that male imagination of the 80s um this is princess yukizuki and or yuki and she is mining xp is what she's doing um they find her comb, and it has the crest of the Akazuki clan. Mm-hmm. And they want to turn her in. Let's because see Because they want to get the reward. Yep, she's worth 10 Rio. Right. Mm-hmm. But then Rokuroto says that she's already been turned in, that he did it, and he shows them gold to prove it. But mm-hmm. he, he, They don't believe him. They turned <laughs> yeah. in her, her sister? They, so M- M- Matachichi goes immediately um, to cash her in. He doesn't believe it. And they just need to get the money himself. Like they just cannot wait to betray people for money. Yeah. They just, <laughs> it's just what they do. It's totally and, unnecessary um, and makes the movie longer. <laughs> but and like, he comes way, back and <laughs> he's all sad. And they're like, oh, did head? you get the money? Just one more quick. <laughs> he's just... like, did you get the money? And the guy's like, No. No, I didn't get the money. I'm back so freaking quick because we learned that the princess has already been beheaded in the town. And Rokuroda um, hears this news and it just really puts him in a funk. And he <laughs> takes a big long walk as the other two guys are bickering. And he uh, walks behind a waterfall, which is totally badass. It was the waterfall from uh, Last of the Mohicans. No, but it's worth talking about how in um, this moment where Rokuroda responds... Uh, again, Trujillo and Katz are going to tell you toxic masculinity can show no emotion except for rage. That's the only emotion that we're allowed. And so, what does he do? He just goes and he sits, and he takes, and then he breathes. It's like his chest starts going up and down, and up and down, and up and down, and up and down. And that is supposed to be like like earth shattering emotional moment for this guy. You get it? Like the camera might as well just be mm-hmm. rocking because of how emotional we're supposed to read that, and it's nothing. <laughs> It's nothing at all. What happened? Oh, he sent an innocent 16-year-old to get her head chopped off. That's what happened. Well, not just that. That was his sister, we learn. <laughs> um, so they said uh, Kof- uh, he comes in. He's pretty sad. Uh, the princess is in there. Is he crying? Her. No. Is his voice cracking? No. <laughs> so is he pretty sad? It's, it's, de- it's debatable. <laughs> his swagger is all gone yeah. at this point. Um, he looks... A little less dreamy. 
and a little more tragic, we, which makes him more romantic. <laughs> we learned that this was Rokuroda's sister, and Princess Yuki finds this totally disgusting. Um, she was the same age as her. He's like, she. this was her duty as your assistant, as your secretary. And I could be um, wrong, but I think these are her first lines. <laughs> And it's it's a good indication. She she shouts a lot. And I know that shouting is kind of like a cultural thing and different folks do it from positions of authority for different reasons and things. But it's super constant in this movie and she is always angry at Rokuroda. Like she is always yelling at him. And he is always just trying to do right by her. So like, hate to say it, but I feel like kind of like Princess Leia, like they just position her as a nag and a bitch most of the movie. Even if she's... I don't find it too nagging. Um, I mean, she's making a, a fair point. She's saying, why, why me? You know? I mean, if the clan is destroyed and the military crushed and everything... Why should she die um, versus somebody else? And as somebody who doesn't give a shit about my ruling class, I guess. I don't know okay. that the movie's coming down on the on her side for asking that question. Though. I think it's really just positioning her as ungrateful for not like hmm. acknowledging the big sack. Because like Roku Rota literally sent his sister to die, and now he's getting yelled at by her for saving her life yeah. by killing his sister. And I'm like. This is her, this is literally the first thing that she says. Like, if it were Game of Thrones, she would have been the one that did it. And, and Roku Rota would have just had to just own it. <laughs> he would have just had to been like, oh, okay. And she'd have been like, sorry, dude. Like, 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 ruling is tough. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, what's for lunch? What do you want? What should we do? <laughs> that puts her in the position That's... to make the choice. That puts her in a position. And yeah, people will say it makes her look like careless and all this shit. But at least she's making a choice and not two turns behind the cart and yelling at someone who just sacrificed his sister to save her life. In any case, it seems like standard operating procedure for this time period for them to do this sort of thing. Sure. Um, That's the, that's to have doubles and stuff like that. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, at 5130, the princess, uh, Princess Yuki goes and allows herself a cry. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't do it in front of anybody An else. Incredibly and she gets criticized cry. for it. Like, listen to this cry. It's pretty badass. is crying with a flag on her face <laughs> as she like looks over her land or something <laughs> like it's pretty it's pretty good this movie must have been pretty awesome if you were actually on set and could see this all in color yeah um i i found myself wondering what the forest looked like in color and stuff like i did i really wanted to see this movie in technicolor i thought that'd be amazing so alert, there are some uh, horses at the spring and our, our two little buffoons are worried that it's the Yamana troops and they're like ready to bug out immediately. They, um, we get this little meeting between this old man and, um, and Tashira Mafuni and he goes, uh, this is good. Fool the Yamana by going through enemy lines. 
<laughs> this was the peasant's idea. Hmm? Depending on their answers, I was ready to kill them. But hearing their plan to go through Yamana to Hayakawa, I was stunned. <laughs> Sometimes even podcasters can be smart. Ha <laughs> 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 um, We can rely on their greed, they also say. And so it's like, yeah. And boy, can they. That's like the safest bet in the world. <laughs> it still works today, although you have to motivate them through abject poverty first. Right. right. Um, you, you do your four years first, and then, um, and then hopefully from there you can go to uh, private military contracting. It's another one of those moments where they're talking about what to do with the girl. What to do with the girl? What do we do with the princess? Well, you leave that to me, he says. I'll be the one that, that deals with her. And then she comes in and he tries reverse psychology and it doesn't work and she sees through it and then she agrees to do what he wanted to do all, the long, all along. But the whole point is the movie sets it up to be like she's not involved in the decision making unless she like fights her way in and even then she's going to do what Roku Rota says. Well, we can disguise her looks, but not her class. This kicks off a 45-minute reverse Pygmalion <laughs> where they uh, they teach her how to be a flower girl and how to curse a lot more. And then they like she colors a tooth in. Yeah, um, I noticed that uh, she and Rokuroda were very clean the whole movie. And the other two, in spite of being right next to springs and in the water a lot, were never clean. They were always just completely <laughs> filthy. It's like they could bathe at any yeah. point. Will they? No, no. That's out of character. Yeah. She needs to, um, because she can't hide her class and her fancy learning, uh, she hasn't learned the um, the dialect of the working class yet. Mm. She has to be mute. That's the best way to to save her. Right. Um, and Rokuroda tries to get her to to do this through reverse psychology, and she sees right through it. And then she's like, Anyway, I guess I'll let you win here because... She's like, I'll use reverse psychology on you. And then she goes and she sits down and she's like, it's the only way, so I'm going to do what you want. I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> that's not how that works. It's like, if you come at me with a gun and you're going to shoot me and I take the gun, and I'm like, I'll use this gun on you, and then I shoot myself. It's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> oh man but maybe you do it in such a way like maybe the guy was just looking to rob you and now you forced him to see somebody die in front of him <laughs> dude i just wanted your watch but the hell <laughs> oh i just needed to feed my family oh god this is blood all over his face ah brains um very traumatizing so Hilarious. i mean that's fun you can change the trajectory of i mean his meal tomorrow is going to be so delicious the mute princess has decoy wood. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> they have the peasants try to run away. They end up loading up the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just so jazzed to uh, to be loading it up. It's like just a almost a smash cut, mm-hmm. except they do have to show you like a minute of them pulling wood delightfully um, and seeing the gold and whatnot. It does not dwell on Roku Rota except for the spear fight. The spear fight comes late, and it's like literally the first time. I mean, you see him throw them in the water, and I guess right before the spear fight, you see him chase those dudes down on horseback. We'll get to that. That was pretty badass. Um, talk about riding a horse. Holy crap. Um, if I had, if I saw that coming at me, I would just totally empty you know, my loins. Um, anyway, but it doesn't. It spends pretty much all of the time fixated on the idiots. Mm-hmm. 
It just fixates on them when they're climbing the rocks. It fixates on them when they're scrambling around in the water. It fixates on them here when you're talking about they're like loading the horse. We just have to... You could make the point once, right? Maybe the movie's trying to speak to us through them. Maybe they're our proxy and they want us to be angry at it and be like, hey, maybe I should not be bickering with my mm-hmm. other neighbor here. Maybe I do need some. Maybe that's what it's saying. Who knows? In any case, we're at 104.15 in the movie and um, and they try to show her they mean to water the horses I have written. We get some comedy here and some delightful music. So as... They're convinced she's mute. They have bought into it completely. And so they're just scheming right in front of her. And, and they think then that she's they mute decide... because she is deaf. They have to double tap it. Because she can't speak because she can't hear. And so now they have to act it out. Have to little... We're going to put a game of charades in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but she knows everything. And it's torture to her that she can't just yell at them and tell them how stupid they are. Rokorota is off doing reconnaissance on a river crossing and these guys just want to run across the river with all of their gold and leave everybody behind but they need to get the horses away from the princess and so they are trying to to get her to believe that they're going to water these horses mm-hmm. and the music is a treat it's such a treat yeah the imdb and says then, the music um, was written in a week the soundtrack for this movie was written in one week the imdb said because of the rush they put on the person doing it the water crossing turns out to be guarded there are a bunch of guys pop out of the grass and just start like plinking at them yep. these guys have totally botched their chance to get over the border and, and like because... totally given away their position like just totally told mm-hmm. the guards across the river that there are people over here that are doing stuff so yeah the total seal move so, yeah. <laughs> Rokorota comes back and he slaps them both <laughs> like their socialites horned up by nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> Not your kind. Or, or, or they're the, the, the stomach of a general that just came out of the bathroom and was told that there's about to be a thermonuclear uh, uh, confrontation <laughs> with the Riskies. I tell you what you better do, old buddy. You better give Elmo and Charlie a blast and bump everything up to condition red and stand by the board. Lots yep. of slapping. Going on. Lots of slapping. <laughs> they're told to take the gold and get lost because they're such a pain. They're just an absolute liability. Mm-hmm. And they happily take the gold and go running off and then immediately like realize that they're um that there's no chance. Mm-hmm. There's more Yamato clan than troops. There's more more Yamato clan troops on the border crossing than Al Qaeda and the Hindu Kush, I wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the lone survivor folks got ambushed by like one thousand two hundred and eighty five Taliban, I think. And here it's at least that mm-hmm. maybe more. One thousand two hundred and eighty six Yamano clan here visible. Yeah, uh, they totally fucked this up. Um, they they try to run back um, with the general and the princess. But the hidden fortress is on fire, so they can't go back there either. This was really intense. Later, they said that the people that were there were fighting till the end, and then they burned their own place down as a beacon to the person that was coming. Yep. Like in case they were coming back, they would see this pillar of smoke and be like, "Guess we can't go back there." That's a uh, communicative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, it, it works. Uh, they go to the border crossing that that the general was checking out earlier where he just saw, you know, like civilians crossing over a, a thin bridge, mm-hmm. a narrow bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he very cleverly uses greed as a weapon. So everybody has these passes Mm -hmm. and they're like, show me your papers. Papers. And uh, the people are showing the papers. They're like bayonetting uh, bales of straw, classic, uh, classic checkpoint drama. And um, that's scary. It's what you got to do. Yeah. No, absolutely. Again, this is the war. This is the war. This is what we're seeing of the war. You get it? It's fairly bloodless. Not a lot of battles or anything like that. It's stuff like this. And it's scary, but it's not like mm-hmm. worry. It's threatening you at every time. You can never let your guard down when, when Jason's after you. The Great you. Escape, Eli says they do that. Same thing, just stabbing mm-hmm. them. Stuff, you know? mm-hmm. No, in fact, a lot of the movie is um, is them stabbing hay bales because The Great Escape is um, about a contest to see who can stab the most hay bales. They stab like hay bales uh, in glory and then the Irish guy beat the crap out of them. So... They what they do is that the general has like the one of the pieces of gold and they're, you know, they're just holding these like bundles of sticks. It's got to be an uncomfortable pack to carry it's a lot. Um, and he says he shows it to the checkpoint dude and he's like, look, I found this underneath one of the mountains, um, Mount Suraguchi or something like mm-hmm. that. I forgot what the name was. Um, sorry. This was smart, and, I thought. Um, Totally, it's totally a, a a badass play. And then fighting, and the princess for the reward, is just watching like this. Smart. He just starts fighting for the reward. It's like, give me an award, I demand mm-hmm. a reward, and just creates this right. whole altercation that lets the other people just slink away. Yeah, he creates such a huge altercation that and makes him look like such a greedy peasant sort of character again (laughs) that they that not only does he is he able to pass but they like are happy to get rid of him Um, and i do now that you mention it i feel like he's looking right at matashichi and tahe and being like this is how they would do it i want a word (laughs) 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 i'm matashichi i'm tahe this is what you sound like (laughs) this is what you guys do walking away like whatever dude like that's not what we said. Like. Yuki's watching it and she's like, this is amazing <laughs> to watch improv this good and live. Well, yeah. Um, so that's the self-discovery. Again, She that, that's what I realized about two minutes ago. She goes on the journey of self-discovery because she learns the people. And so here she is learning the ways of the people watching him <laughs> ham up being poor. The soldiers kick them out of there and they're like greedy. Yep. Um, so I thought that was funny because they're getting him out of there because they all also want the gold. Everybody calls everybody else greedy when they're greedy in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the whole reason for the, I mean, all war, right? Right. That's what it's all about. Property. Yeah. Checkpoint commander picked some oopsie daisies, a whole bouquet of them, <laughs> right? Um, guy comes riding in on, on the, on the horse and he's like, hey, I just, uh, we just got info that the uh, that this absolute stud, this babe, these two dipshits and a cart full of wood are passing through here, and um, and that's actually the gold and the princess and the general and the two dipshits are truly just dumb shits. One of them is stinky, the other one's teeth are all fucked up. You can kill them on on sight, but the other people, you got to get them. And then the uh, checkpoint commander's like. Oh, boop, boop, and he pulls out his he pulls out his collar. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
have you seen an incredible set of thighs going by? And he's like, I have seen exactly. an incredible set of thighs going by. <laughs> uh, how would you be able to spot the general? Oh, he's a total beefcake. If you see him, you're going to drop drop trowel right as there. As soon as he came here, to... did you feel a warm smoldering sensation under your collar and between your legs? Because that was probably him. <laughs> did your armor get tight? <laughs> <laughs> um... So they go into a town and the general they leave and it's like it's like maybe two minutes before this dude comes up and says have you seen them and then it just shows him standing there looking all like cringe but he doesn't like say after them or like chase them he just it just fades out he's watching the guy like get out of sight is probably what's happening he's like play it cool play it cool play it cool play it cool. Don't look. Don't make it pretend like we're scrambling to immediately get the people that we just let through. <laughs> but that's not on him. He could be like, "Oh, good thing you told me that because those people just came through. Let's go get them." <laughs> that to me would be the way to do it. It's not on him to know to stop those people before he's been told to do that, right? Do you think he's also trying to keep it quiet because he maybe wants to apprehend them on his own to get the gold? Probably, but we don't run into him they, later. They, they make, he has his own they do movie. Make the- there's, there's a whole other movie here. They make the soldiers stupid and selfish. Like they definitely play bolt, play them all that way for sure. So it, because I mean, technically, the soldiers are Matashichi and Tahe. Right. They just are get to wear all of the armor and they are not brutalized at the moment. Right. But all of those guys are technically at their base. Those two yeah, guys. Meanwhile, the 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 generals and the princesses are you know just beyond reproach apparently. <laughs> this is war politics. Um, so, apparently. so I they're in town, glory, and again, I'm not going to lie. Let's go back to that one. <laughs> it's a good movie. You didn't like it when we first watched it. I feel like, but boy, you've come around big time now. It's a more complicated than that. You came in hard on it. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Listen, episode one of the Real War Project. Go check it out. Uh, so, hide a stone among stones and a man among mm-hmm, men. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of hiding in the open. Uh, the guys want to guard their bundle of sticks. Can't be doing that because who would do that? So you have to play it cool, baby. Right. You can't hide a man among men with legs like that, though. That's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> if, if it's a normal man, you can do that. But You can't hide a god among men. I, I know we got to talk about the, the farmer's daughter getting bought and all of that stuff, but the rich dude that buys his horse, that was awesome. That was awesome, <laughs> where he does not want to sell the horse, and the rich guy's like, oh, too bad, here you go, goodbye. And then he's like, well, I'm a peasant, at least supposed to be, so I can't do anything about it. And I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's like when your landlord shows up and says, you've got two months to vacate. <laughs> I was um, I was writing notes, and so I missed the first part of it when he was talking about the horse. And for real, I thought he was talking about the princess again. <laughs> And how she was like carrying a little bit of the sticks, and I was like, Jesus, it's this plausible. is like so. And then I rewound it. I was like, Oh, it's just the horses, actually. So the princess is observing some cruelty in a brothel. Well, she gets danced around by children because, of course, she does. And uh, mm-hmm. then, yeah, she observes a bunch of cruelty in a brothel. Is that um, privileged for uh, beautiful people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful women. He doesn't get danced around mm-hmm. by children, does he? Mm-mm. Nope, that would be... I well, because when you're a beautiful beefcake, people like kind of like keep their distance. I don't know, man. I'd go, um, I'd go it's only around reason- the Rosie with that guy. Like you and I, we would just like clasp hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I'd be clasping on his back. Lose a war and plenty of women go on sale mm-hmm. is what uh, we hear one of the guys say. Mm-hmm. So what we are learning here is that 
is that there's just a labor surplus in the brothel um, now that this war has ended. And Princess Yuki is realizing that a lot of the women of her people, um, which is, I assume, like if this was a, if West Virginia and Virginia were fighting each other. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it's she um she buys the woman is that what happens she he tries to well what happens here and then they buy what happens here is that um is that this other guy she's she's watching this woman just get roasted because apparently she won't sleep with anybody and one of the guys says what's the use of buying a woman who won't take customers um capitalism Mm -hmm. baby um and then they see the princess, and the princess, they're like, oh, oh, hochi mama, I got to get me some of that. And then the guy's like immediately going around like, hey, who owns her? I got to buy her. I'll give, you, I'll give you all this money. And then um, the general and our two peasants are there giggling, and they say, she's mute. And he's like, mute? I'll pass. Because... Yeah, this is it. One hour, 21 minutes, and 43 seconds into this movie, I wrote, Yuki leads. That's when she leads. This yeah. is when she does a thing that actually is her choice. And she's like, we're going to buy this woman and save her. Apparently, this is like the first time she's kind of been among the people. Right. So she's like really getting a... This isn't like Roman Holiday where she's like getting to see people dance and having like their night off. Right. She's seeing just like aftermath of war and um and she don't like it and so she tells um Rokurodu that um that that she has to um that she has to save this person from from sex slavery mm-hmm. and he tells her that kindness will be her downfall and it's not yeah she says you can't make my heart mute too yeah and it's like yeah 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 that's a good way to think as a leader i think so there's a thing she does um so she did that mhm she asserts herself in that in that moment, and she makes a good call, as it turns out, because now they have a lady helping. Well, now when the person comes and says, have you seen a really good-looking guy and a lady and two idiots and some horses, it's not them anymore, because there's two ladies and a really good-looking guy and two idiots and a cart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, and so I wrote, cart, good idea or bad idea? Mm-hmm. The soldiers turn around, and they come back, and... Um, and it just goes bad, but um, the general totally ices like a couple of guys and then hops onto one of the horses and chases after the other guys, not even holding on to the reins. He's double holding on to the sword. He's just got it like cocked and ready to go. And he's just like full gallop at these other guys in his freaking jumper. And the other guys are just trying to get the hell out of there. Exactly. Eli's saying in the chat here that that's what his thighs are for. He's just absolutely squeezing the horse. <laughs> he looks completely awesome. Like, if you're ever going to be in a movie, like, tell them that you want this to be one of the scenes just so you can have this footage of yourself to exist somewhere. Uh, he catches up on the other guys and he just, like, totally wastes them. Is this the speeder bike chase? It is so badass. He looks, he's just both hands leaning forward. The horse is going full speed. He just blows by. <laughs> it would be the most terrifying. I thought of those dudes on the horse looking over their shoulder and just seeing that dude coming at him. I would be like, oh, no. (laughs) You know, you can tell if they can ride, right? Like, it's kind of like in a car chase. You can tell probably if they can drive. And if they can drive, then they're going to catch you. And if they can't drive, you can get away. But when you look back and you see that dude riding that horse coming after you, it's like, I mean, you could keep this up, but we all know where this is going to (laughs) go. 
Yeah, but if you're going to go, it might as well by, be by the studliest <laughs> man in Japan. And, they just um, went with the, the warmest feelings all over their body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beautiful. Um, so he finishes off these two guys because he doesn't want to, you know, alert um, whatever uh, whatever military unit they're from, and he gets the last guy like right as they show up back at the camp awesome. and he's just immediately surrounded by all these yeah. dudes with spears. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then this, um, this one guy comes out with this big old spear and he's like, Hey, back the hell up. This is Roka Rota, and he's going to F you all up. All of you guys are mere fodder to him. <laughs> and then he says, uh, duel. And they're like, sure. That was okay. really subtle. They were like really good friends, but they're on opposite sides. And he's like, none of y'all are going to kill him. And then it was, you might as well have asked him to have a sandwich or something. He was like, so let's I was like expecting them to like have a drink first yeah. and be like, okay, let's sit in the thing and have like a tea first and then let's go wax each other. Right. And then we get like, let's wax each other's thighs. Yeah. Is that what you meant? And then we get like the Please. most badass duel I think I've seen in a really long time. This was so good. It, I mean, I've always seen soldiers running around with spears, and I've always just been like, I don't understand. Like, swords are probably smarter than spears. And then you see people that know how to use a spear, and it's like, oh. And I, I thought a lot, and I texted you all about it, how it was like, to me, there's something really interesting about, we talked about this a little bit with the man who would be king, how with gun culture, for a very, like, we, we associate guns with masculinity now, but for a very, very long time, if you used a firearm, you were a coward. And, and you didn't know how to fight. It meant that you weren't a real man. And because it didn't put you in proximity to other men. And the spear is like a weird version because you're not proximate. You're, you're quite a ways away and they can kill you from many steps away. And the movements, it's like where you put your feet. If you lose your balance at all, it was mostly waiting. And you can see it in forming generations of Star Wars movies. Absolutely. It was just very clear to me that that's where that went. So really enjoyable scene. This scene for me was like, it's the first time we see Roku Rota fight. And I'm like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. it, it makes us wait a long time to see this guy and see what he's worth. Um, and then it's worth it. They fight in the open. It turns out he's they worth it. They go into the tent and they fight through the walls of the tent. Like that was pretty cool. I don't know. Slicing right through the walls like they're lightsabers. Swinging the thing around. There's this one time where they swing it. You can hear it whoosh, and it just really gives you this notion of, like, the mass of that thing. Like, yeah, it's got a big point in the end, but also, like, it will crush your bones. It's intense. This was a long fight, and it rules. It totally rules. This was so good. Like, even when they're just, like you said at the beginning, like, it takes a long time for them to even, like, thrust at each other. All they're doing is just watching for an opening and circling and circling, and even that was exciting as hell. Like, this was a good fight. In the sword fight for the Prince's Bride, famously, as they move their feet, they talk to each other about the defenses that they're using, and they, they kind of explicitly talk up that little foot footwork that's going on there. this movie just made you watch it it just really made you sit there and watch it and it played it out and you could see how every time they would move their body the other person would move their body it was just totally locked in and and because you knew you just saw this dude on this horse and you, you know you've seen like his cavalier nature you get it like you know he's lethal 
And this other guy is like, duel? Hmm, fancy a duel? Let's do it. So it's like, well, he's got to be pretty good, you know? <laughs> like, it was good. Yep. Rokuroda beats him. He, like, uh, locks his uh, his spear and then, like, snaps his spear in half. And um, and his friend there says, I lost. And Rokuroda um, has a chance to kill him. You know, it's, like, the honorable thing. The guy, like, kneels. And Rokuroda hops on the horse and he says, we will meet again. And then he rides off, and it's totally badass. He looks like um, he, he looks like Zorro or something, you know. He looks like you're again. This is where I'm like, this is almost like a pirate movie. Like when he rides off there, he he does this kind of backward look or something that just made me think of all of those movies at once. You know? Just nails it. So their new friend from the brothel, she's walking through the rain. And uh, on the, like the outskirts of town, and she hears all of these people talking next to a bulletin board about the um, about the princess. And so this is the first time that she's realizing who her new friends are, mm-hmm. and she's realizing that she's like, we kind of don't know for sure, like maybe what her motives are. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that it's been raining and raining apparently for three days. Rokuroda is just sitting there completely solemnly, not saying unmoving staring off into the distance as um the two peasants are constantly bickering right next to him and he hasn't lost his mind somehow it seems like my personal hell we'd mentioned that masculinity is done by making comparatives between men and among men right here it is again same thing and yeah it does it makes you think of like dumb and dumber um (laughs) that dude sitting between the two of them in the car when he's like you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world it's like that's what he's putting up with at this point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right this one seemed more comedic like this one seemed less badass than his first time and this one seemed more like they were the director punishing him <laughs> as a character it was funny to me um and then uh Rokuroda, he he goes off to find something to carry the wood and he just leaves the two perverts with the princess and they immediately just get bad ideas. They actually truly are like looking at her butt as she's sleeping and stuff. And they draw straws to see who gets to rape her. And then the new lady shows up and she has a fricking rock and she just like threatens to waste these dudes. And these guys are so lame and cowardly that, um, that they immediately wilt at the, um, at the show of force. And then within moments, they hear chanting on the road, and it's a bunch of people going to a fire festival carrying firewood, so they realize they can just blend in, and so they just peace out. It's like, well, if we can't assault this woman, then we're going to once, like for the third time, just try to take all of this gold for ourselves and leave. I guess we'll just be rich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we've said they're despicable or not, but they're really laying it on thick. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they... they, they they make me laugh sometimes, but yeah, frequently they remind me that I just like despise these guys and they're unrelenting. Um, but for some reason I don't hate them more than slim or I can watch them better than I can watch slim. Slim felt capable. What do you think? Slim was capable. No, slim absolutely was capable, but you don't want these guys to be capable. So yeah, the Yamana fire festival, I wrote bad sandwiches, emergency tents. Um, (laughs) long lines at the port of potty. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's like um we learned that the soldiers are everywhere because they're also expecting that the gold might get moved along with the fire festival. Mm-hmm. Um they're dancing around a 
a bonfire throwing stuff into there. Um, this is where our opening quote comes mm-hmm. from. Um, this is like the song that everybody from Yamana is singing. I wrote Dog on Midsummer. Um, they, um, the guys want to protect the gold instead of throwing it in with the festival, and it's drawing a bunch of attention. Rokuroda tells them that you got to throw it in and actually helps throw it in with the other people. Mm-hmm. I said, Indiana, let it go. <laughs> um I mean, it makes sense. No one knows that there's gold in there, and it's not going anywhere. I mean, I guess if the fire got hot enough, it could melt. But well, we did see that it did melt. But I mean, it just like you don't see mm. it; it just melts into the ashes right. there, and then you got to fish it out later. We saw how this works on Time Team <laughs> when they smelted wood into gold. Yeah, on day two, they uh, had the the kiln ready. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, they are picking through the ashes and they are filling it up. Um, they're going to split it up between all of them so that they can carry it. And the troops are coming and the backpacks are really heavy and Tahe and, um, the other guy, he cannot, they're like, they just can't fucking leave it. They have to go back and pick through it. It's like, they're so annoying. They're just the, what are you going to do? Like they already can't barely carry it. Yep. Um, they go back, they of course get caught, um, or they bring attention to them. Um, and then they, they run those two guys that are like chasing them right back to Rokuroda, who, who completely owns them immediately and puts them to puts work. Them to work. <laughs> He's like, Oh look, puts them to, to work, work and carry gold. <laughs> <laughs> ah, pack horses. <laughs> um, Marashichi and, uh, Tahe, they, um, they immediately, um, go to subjugating those guys. They're very happy to start swatting them with sticks mm-hmm. and stuff, even though technically those are their own countrymen. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And this is where they start calling him <laughs> boss. This is where they just start calling him boss, boss. Every time they come running back, like yelping puppies, they're like, boss, boss. <laughs> um, I wrote this movie loves to send folks up a gravelly slope. It really does. Again, more gravel sounds, lots of rocky gravel sounds. Which I guess is the sound of toil and struggle and strife and, again, the landscape working against you. Um, and this is a Japanese movie, but one of the terms that gets picked up a lot in settler colonial westerns and stuff, again, is the landscape is going to try to kill you. Um... They find themselves, after a big long hike, they find themselves surrounded. And the two soldier guys that have been put to work go running off. And I wrote, there's nothing friendly about friendly fire. No, there really isn't. Nope. Mm-hmm. No, and then again, we get them hiding and um, the... You know, the little scoundrels are just wishing to die and Rokuroda has hatched a scheme to sacrifice himself and the farm girl's going to go with him. And um, I don't understand what happens. They both run out and she gets shot and he brings her back. Yeah, I think he was going to do like kind of a last stand at his spot. Then she goes running off and he goes running after her. He brings her back and then the lady's like, leave me. And I think it's like kind of this is this is is Yuki that that is kind of like. No, everybody get out right. of here. No last stands. Right. GTFO. Right. 
um, good call on her part. Right. Um, so she's she's becoming more and more of a leader as the movie goes along. They just didn't want it to be such a quick change, and that's why the movie had to be as long as this it is was. where we get the real droning horns, um, just the real like 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 spooky horns, and they're coming through the woods, they're coming through the fog multiple times in this movie. There's really large extra sets, just lots of extras. Um, we've talked about what happens when the American military helps you make a movie, and I just found myself wondering: Is this all just production? Did these people just make this? Because I can't imagine that they're like actually representing any military entities every single soldier has a flag on their back every single soldier has a flag on their back it was fascinating to me to see that and to think about how inconvenient that would be how conspicuous that makes you and just like why (laughs) like what is i get it but it's again we, we talk about how the flag is more important than the lives of the people and i i thought that was kind of a good example well, I think uh, truly, I mean, we're we're going to get into other um, other Kurosawa films, I think, where you're going to get to see these tactics play out. But I think like truly what it is, it's like the big hats on different units and things. It's truly just so the guy on the mountainside <laughs> can be like, they need to go there with your flag. Show them they need to yeah. go. Again, that. it's all about some dude on a mountain. Meanwhile, you're out there with a flag on your back tangled in a bush. <laughs> just like totally Isn't that invisible. what this movie is about? And it doesn't matter to him whether <laughs> you're just you're just a statistic, man. <laughs> but not in this movie. In this movie, they're the wizened ones. And these assholes out here with the flags on their back, they're greedy and selfish and filthy and they smell <laughs> like shit. So they um, they escape, but they leave the gold behind, um, and then the two peasants are left by themselves, and they're like, well, we got to go tournament. We know at least where they're at, and we can get some money for it. They just are – they insist on it. They insist on betraying them for money when they're completely motivated entirely by – by riches. They even acknowledge that if they go right now, they're going to get shot. And so instead, they're like, we'll go tomorrow? And it's like, yeah, but they're not going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. Like the, it, the movie is just incoherently making them that bad. You get it? It doesn't, it doesn't even make <laughs> sense for them to try, but the movie's like, oh, let's throw one more of these in here. Why not? Well, because they're also cowardly, so they're going to... Uh, they, they want to get rich, but they also don't want to get killed. It's their like makes it's their only motivation in this whole movie. Get rich question mark, mm-hmm. not get killed question mark, end of character development. So they go to turn them in and they realize that they have actually already been captured. All the gold has been um has been confiscated. And so these guys get no reward and they have betrayed their possibly only mm-hmm. friends. Yep, and they just slink out of town looking sad with no gold at all. I feel like this is the first time we learned what the name of that one guy was. His name is Tadokoru. Um, and he shows up. He's the guy that was in the spear duel earlier. So good. And he is there to identify the um, the people. Now, good thing he shows up because a big crowd of dudes were potentially going to rape the Again. princess. Yep. Again. Or at least um, just But go then look these at are it. the same people as the other guys. They were gonna, at least going to ogle um, through the thing. Um, Tadakoru has a big old scar on his face. He's standing in this shadow. He does the thing where he's standing in the shadows and then he steps out of the shadows. Mm-hmm. And when he was in the shadows, his eyes were like gleaming. It was 
intense. Badass. Like, yeah. And then he steps mm-hmm. out and he's got that big old scar on his face. And I just heard the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack for some reason. The general's like, we were on opposite sides, but we're true friends. Um, and the guy's like, then why did you let me survive the shame of my defeat? Why are they true friends? That's the prequel. This is George Lucas being like, there's a prequel here that I'm going to make that needs mm-hmm. to be made. There was a time before statehood when this was just the Dakota Territory. <laughs> And so they were just South friends. South Dakota and North Dakota were one Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to unite it again. There's a wall between the two Dakotas. Unite the Dakotas. This is a movie that needs to be made. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> North and South separated by generations. They said um, it turns out that that the uh, the other guy, the spear guy, what is his name? Tadokoru, he was, um, after he was left to live, his lord, like, tortured him in front of everybody and, like, mauled his face in order to shame him. And um, and the princess, Princess Yuki, is, like, annoyed by all of this. Like, she just, the guy's like, I'm going to kill you. How dare you do this? And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. She stands up. Her hands are untied. She just like stands up perfectly and so she strolls around. She's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why are you trying to, why are you trying to redeem your honor for a guy that like treats you like that? That doesn't make any sense. I'd never do that for these people that risk their freaking lives for me. Like, that's, that's insane. We were talking a little bit about it before where this kind of explains his turn, right? His turn the next day comes because she stands up to him. She accepts her own fate. She tells him that he doesn't have to be live in shame. He can just accept the fact that he's still alive and fight for this guy. And his takeaway is that she's like a leader worth fighting for and that he does, in fact, want to help his friend. And that's why he fights the next day. That mm-hmm. made sense? Yep, I think so. I think so. Yeah, he does all, while this is all going on, you know, like right before it happens, the the new lady is like, um, is like, I'm the princess, take me or right. whatever. And she's like, no, right. no, 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 That's stop. where she like... How dare you, peasant, she says. How dare you <laughs> impersonate royalty? Kill her. Just executes her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She gets his spear and runs him through. Just don't anger the Richies, okay? Just don't do it. They'll treat you nice for a while, but then that one time you make them mad and they'll, they'll, they'll send you on a trip in their private plane and crash you into the Bahamas. I don't know. Just don't do it. That was where she, like, becomes the princess, right? She, like, acknowledges that that's who she is. And, and again, now she's making choices and things, so. Mm-hmm. Rokuroda apologizes for getting her um, killed. And she's like, no, this is the best. I'm glad I got out of the castle because I got to see the world for what it truly is. And that's when I said, oh, this movie's Roman holiday. <laughs> I have seen the people through my eyes. They're dirty, stinky, filthy, pervy, ridiculous. Stupid, the women are betrayal. good, the men are rapists. <laughs> yep. Their music was nice. We danced at that fire festival. I had a pretty good time. Who's ready for an execution? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I might as well end it on a high note. <laughs> We're going to have a smart breakfast in the morning. So the um, in the morning, they are on horseback. They're all tied up. All the gold has been put onto pack horses and everything. And they're going to get led into the... I don't know, whatever next castle or whatever to be executed. 
beheaded. Everyone's getting their heads chopped off. Everybody's going to get their heads chopped off. See, this is the thing is that the movie's constantly denying us of a head being chopped off. I know. Um, if you're going to talk about it, you've got to have one rolling in the dusty road at some point, don't you? There was one after the credits, but it's out of context. <laughs> and the person was in modern clothes, which is messed I up. I did not yeah. sit through the credits for the cut scene at the end. Rats. Takadoru, he shows up and he like starts singing that song as they go riding off. And as he's singing it, he's like, he's like with the with the spear, he's like ah ah like that, like doing his like kata pretty much with the with the spear. And then um, there's like a couple officers that are that are supposed to be that are on horseback, going to bring the the general and the princess back to be executed, and um, and he just absolutely wrecks them with his uh, with his spear. They just are you you've realized that like there's only one guy that's going to beat this dude, and that was the guy that we saw him beat him earlier, Rokuroda. It made me think again, like, if you don't have some kind of projectile and he knows how to use that spear, you better have a squad with you or, like, what are you going to do about it? And and here, too, you see mm-hmm. no, there totally. was a bunch of people around him, but he swings that thing around and it's freaking sharp, man. And, like, I mean, someone's going to have to take it. Like, someone's just going to have to right. sacrifice themselves if we want to bring this guy down. Yeah. It's, like, the only way to do it. And as we see in this scene, after they watch, like, three dudes on horseback get absolutely waxed, yeah. they're like, no, yeah. it's not worth it. The horses go running off. He sets them free. He uh, sets the general and the princess free. And then the general and the princess are like, well, come with us. Like, don't don't waste it. Come back this way with yeah. us. And he's like, let me think about it. Uh, Sounds yeah. better. And so he... um. and he hops on a horse and there's some guys in a tower with some guns and i thought for sure he was going to get shot did you think he was going to get killed somebody had to take i thought the farm girl was going to get shot i thought someone's getting tragically shot off the horse but um Mm -hmm. no and the guns like it's interesting guns fire a lot but to no effect really i don't like we don't see a lot of people get shot when they're being chased by the soldiers they have four or five shots in a row where they very clearly hide behind a log cut the take and then show the bullet impacts right like there's like three or four of those in a row that made me think of our conversation in the big parade where people just have explosions going off next to them and they're like oh my god (laughs) right like I wonder if this is before or after Throne of Blood and if Tashiro Mifune was like, no, you're going to cut first before shooting anything at me from now on. <laughs> Sounds complicated. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's one. Oh, so this is after? Okay, so there we go. That's why. That's why there's cuts. He got tired of Tashiro, or he got tired of Akira Kurosawa shooting actual arrows at him. Um, Sounds complicated. <laughs> dude who almost oh. got stepped on by the horse didn't have that in his writer <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> it was so obvious though and and but it did it made me think about like how guns with man who would be king guns do a lot of killing they, like they're kind of disproportionately powerful i had said in this movie at the mm-hmm. beginning there's a little bit of it but after that they're just noise they're just noise well they do at the beginning they're they're effective until they're overrun and then Later on, the guys with Tahe get killed with guns. They're like gunned down as he's running, and then he just like sits on his butt and starts scooting the down the mountain as the other guys' bodies are rolling right? down. They don't ever get hit. They're not. It, it just seems really understated. Is it stormtroopers? 
Yeah. Well, but it also like with the stormtroopers had a lot of fire though. You get it, especially in that in the the, the remakes. It was like fifty million stormtroopers in that hallway this time. <laughs> um, but now it's like you know it just it's interesting to me because it's like this is a movie that is not hyper fixated on guns. This is a movie that is not hyper fixated on war. It is definitely staring at the same dude, the same masculine fighting character, right? Like, but and and it's got a lot of the same politics and all that stuff. But it is very, very visibly to me like less interested in that stuff than any other movie that we have seen, including The Man Who Would Be King, which just strapped him to mules and made an empire out of them. The princess, the lady she rescued, General Rokuroda and the and General Hayo, they all escape. Um, they have a good laugh seeing the four horses riding into their territory. Um <laughs> Matashichi and Tahei are laying in a field and they're feeling really sad and they say, let's stay friends. They have nothing at this point. Their friends are gone. They've tried to betray them and didn't even get paid for it. Um, and I wrote, isn't this what trooping is about? <laughs> Bonded forever with somebody you hate. <laughs> nothing to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, the horses just by happenstance wander by and now they have more than they could ever hope to use. And immediately they're so greedy mm -hmm. and they are bickering about who, um, about who should get which. And I wrote again, working class, always fighting each yeah, other. And I said, while Hayo, Roku and Yuki show solidarity, of mm -hmm. course, of mm -hmm. course, the rich show solidarity. Because the rich don't really the, care. The other people. Like, the, the, when when they show up later to get their reward, they're like, oh, so that gold is so precious, we can't give any of it to you. The princess could But when they're watching it, like, run down the hill on the horseback, they're like, <laughs> like we don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can just go because we ruled this place. Matashichi and Tahei, um, they're arrested by cops. Um they declare their friendship again because they're convinced they're going to die as they're in the... Um, so every time they have lost everything, they declare their friendship yeah. and say that they'll be friends forever. Times like 13 um, different scenes, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. They show up in... Um, well, I mean, that's the true human condition. It's not change. Mm -hmm. It's repetition. Mm -hmm. And like selfish pores. <laughs> <laughs> So the um, they're brought in front of, you know, whoever to be judged. We just see them like kneeling with their heads down. And then the people there tell them to lift their heads up. And we see like this badass general in a freaking in like straight up samurai mm -hmm. armor. And the, like this other guy with a scar across his face. That's obviously Hayo. And then the princess is like all princessed up and... She looks terrifying. It like it's again. If you want to intimidate, that's what you're going for. It it truly is nuts. Yeah, it's it's an intense. It made look. me think of Elizabeth um, and uh, you know, like that mm, that kind yeah. of approach where it's like you take all the humanity out of it in order to rule through fear. Um, mm -hmm. It was weird that she said he was so handsome. Did that line just come out of nowhere to you? Where she was like, "You look so handsome," but I'm like, "What?" No, somebody had to say it. <laughs> It's messed up when Brad Pitt wanders through a movie. They got to the end of the movie and the script writer was like, just just quick note here, Akira. Um, it's stupid that nobody's mentioning this because like, like someone would have if George to say Clooney it. walks through the store. 
somebody has to stop and be like, that dude's fucking so handsome. Why is that man so handsome? <laughs> this, this is not a person that's like us. I've seen a handsome one of us. She's like, the armor makes it impossible to tell who you are. And I'm like, no, no, we could see his face. It's totally his face. I guess if you're. Yeah, I mean, I've been staring at his thighs all movie. It's true. It's true. They say that they have to keep everything, uh, sadly, to rebuild their their little nation state there. Mm. And but they can offer them something. And he holds out down a plate and it has a piece of fried spam. It looked like. <laughs> and he said, split it fairly. No fighting. Um, impossible. Here's a, here's an MRE. <laughs> it's got pineapple. There you go. Eat this. Taste this and tell me if it's spoiled. <laughs> it is? Okay. <laughs> the two guys, they, uh, they take their gold and they're walking down the stairs outside of the castle. And one of them says, you keep it. And the other one says, no, you keep it. And that's it. That's the end. I said, oh, they actually truly did change. I thought they were going to bicker again. I so could have swore they were going to fucking bicker again. They f- finally change. Um, <laughs> and the change comes when they don't get much. They get just enough. Just they enough. Just enough. You can't have too much. If you give the poorest too much, that's not the happy movie that you want. So, yeah, that's so, it. But... The three vill- the three villains of the hidden fortress, and the three villains are uh, <laughs> the two poor guys and the bully. <laughs> okay, two poor guys and a rich bully. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess if you frame the movie from Yuki's perspective, there are three villains in this movie: Rokuroda, uh, Matashishi, and uh, Tahe. They're all villains from her perspective. <laughs> One mm-hmm. of them is just like not including her even though he's supposed to be following her orders and the other two are terrible. But although anyway. she does learn later on that that when she does give him orders, he will follow them. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's mm-hmm. so he, this dude is like a stencil. He is like a perfect stencil of the stoic, Underline sacrificial, always right, like mm-hmm, rational yeah. warrior trope, right? Like he is he he apologizes when he shouldn't. He gets yelled at when he's made a sacrifice. He's better than anyone at fighting. He's stronger than everyone. He always knows what he's supposed to do. He has zero emotion. Zero emotion. He's never going to be sad about anything. If he's sad, he's sitting there stoically meditating. The The dude that is responsible, I feel like, <laughs> Eli says Han Solo, and I'm like, he is... A rogue, right? And so he's kind of haphazard. Um, I've always one of my favorite cage matches to the deaths is if Han Solo fought Indiana Jones, who would win? And I've always said that I think Indiana Jones. Oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, because Han Solo is unlucky, and Indiana Jones is lucky. And and I mm-hmm. feel like like this guy, Rokurota, he doesn't need luck. He does not need luck. If he is unlucky, he's going to solve it. If he's lucky, he's 20 laps ahead of everybody else. You get it? And to see him in this movie um, going through the the kind of road trip that we talked about, kind of holding down the story but not being the hero of the story, that was interesting to me. He's kind of a periphery character, even though the plot runs through him, right? Like, 
Right, because the, I think a different movie would follow him completely, and then these guys are like comic relief that show up to annoy yeah. him. And this movie is like, well, what if actually those characters were the main characters, and you just see them annoying him? Like it's, yeah. The internet says um, the Phantom Menace, like like Star Wars got edited so many times it wasn't remaking this, but it's closer in the Phantom Menace. And I think about how that movie follows Qui Gon. And, you know, because Star Wars follows Luke Skywalker, and this dude's not Luke Skywalker. This dude is apparently Ben Kenobi. And so, like, yeah, and then the droids are just there for yucks. You get it? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's an interesting movie. It, <laughs> The princess is definitely powerful, but I would say she's not super empowered. She does not have a whole lot of lines. She does not take up a whole lot of like choice in the plot. Yes, she comes on at the end. She's written to be 16 years old and like entitled and pretentious and selfish. So that's who she is. I didn't really see her as being selfish during the huh. movie. Like I didn't see I didn't see When she's yelling at the dude for killing his own sister to save her life, you didn't think that was a little selfish? I think she's shocked. Mm-hmm. I think she's shocked that that he wouldn't that he wouldn't be touched more by by the death of his sister. You know, I think that that that's what's messed up to her. But doesn't that, he like of, like again, of course he would like he's not touched by anything. He's just going to carry that burden. Yeah, I think she's messed up. I mean, do you want to be hanging around that kind of person? That's <laughs> well, <dumb>. no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, men of the world, your feelings are important and you need to be in touch with them. And crying is wisdom. And we understand <laughs> like... in this situation that the double of the princess. Don't, don't kill your sister and not be sad. <laughs> At least let us know that you are emotionally <laughs> fucked up by this. Come in and be like, look, I don't want to talk about it right now. This is super it's weird, messed up. Because I felt like the movie don't was siding with him. Don't say I don't feel anything him. about this. <laughs> I did. I felt like the movie was siding with him in that scene. I felt like they were playing her to be the heel. And maybe I'm reading that with my own toxicity in mind. That's entirely possible. It's interesting that you came away with her just being shocked. I read it as her being ungrateful. Like, mm. and I felt like she was she was pretty ungrateful. Like, does I mean she says like thanks, I guess, at the very end. She seemingly she she learns this news from him, and it seems like throughout the rest of the movie she wants to reject that, making that choice. Like to him, to him, this was this was his this was his Kobayashi Maru situation, and it's like he has to make the bad choice where it's like either the princess or his sister. And to her, she's like, "No, I don't want to live if it means killing somebody else." That means that if we have to figure out a way to make this work with this other lady that we've rescued, then we have to figure out a way to make this work with the other lady that we've rescued. See, if she would have said that, you get it? Like, she doesn't have any of this dialogue. She's, she would never even be included in that conversation. They'd have that conversation around her. And so instead, she has to, like, insert it and just do it. I get it. I just... I don't know. It's it, it's I mean, really I feel like I don't need it to be explicitly said every time, but sure. I feel like they did talk about it in but there. But there's something to be said for a movie that doesn't give her any lines except for yelling at him. Like most I mean, of the lines she I I felt like she wasn't yelling at him much. I felt like she was like reintroducing some humanity into his into his decision making. Huh. You know, like it. he's too soldiered or something, you know. If this movie were giving us that lesson, that'd be cool, but it never does. It's not fully about that, I don't think. He never... When does he ever come out looking bad? 
I'm not crying about his sister fucking dying, man. Like, that's, that's like, that's whack. I mean, it's like we, we learn it that's early on. That's the only thing. But again, I think that the movie plays that as his strength. I do. I see that. It is the movie being like, look at this fucking badass. Like, but, but as a, but as a leader, we learn that that's a, I mean, maybe in war or whatever, but I think that the worked. lesson of this movie what makes worked. her. Until it yeah. Didn't. Right, until it didn't. So, right, like, so how much did that really buy If he had more egg on his face from that, if she was able to explain herself more, like, um, conversationally, I don't know. It's interesting comparing her to Princess Leia. I was writing something about the scene where Princess Leia comforts Luke after they escape the Death Star and how weird that is, considering that Mm -hmm. Luke just met Ben Kenobi, like, literally just met that dude. And Mm -hmm. Leia was, like, survived torture at the hands of the fucking Empire. And her planet blew up. Literally saw her planet blown up in front of her. Yeah, like, and, and yet she's comforting him? Like, that's weird. Like, what's going on there? You get it? Like, and, and, and I'm wondering, like, is Yuki, like, more engaged or less engaged than Leia? And I feel like Leia, like, in that, like, she rescues them. You get it? Like, that rescue scene is so unconventional when she's, like, into the garbage chute, fly boy. You get it? Like, she's calling shots there. She's doing stuff. And... Saving the day. She stands up to Vader. You get it? And Yuki doesn't do any of that. She doesn't say anything until like halfway through the movie. And then she's yelling at the hero. It's like if Leia says nothing except for yells at Han Solo. You get it? Like that's it. That's all she does is yell at Han Solo. I guess I just didn't find her as being like yelling. You know? Because there's there's a certain... I mean, and maybe this is my racism as an American. But there's a little bit too... um, There's a little bit too... Too Japanese performances that can seem a little yelly. And, and maybe, I said that at the top, like, I think that, and, um, yeah, and maybe that, um, and maybe that coupled with the pitch of a female or of a woman's voice could potentially make it sound like that she's acting shrill when she is instead just trying to, to express herself, uh, equally with the men. This is worth saying, and it's worth emphasizing. And I think that it, it's part of what I said at the top, which was like, cultures are going to situate yelling in positions of authority differently and um i'm in a terrible position to make a whole lot of claims about this but i have read about like especially japanese men and also japanese women using shouting as a way of establishing authority and that it's not seen as rude it's a form of response and i don't you know it's like i see that and i hear that and 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 as hopefully the research says the more aware you are of your own sexism, the less capable you are of catching it. So anytime you feel yourself saying, like, I'm pretty good at this, and that, that's a bad excuse. Mm-hmm. That being said, I try. I really did. And I thought about that exact thing, Charles. And what I did is I went looking for the standpoint. And that's why I'm saying it's like when you look at what her lines do, when you look at what her lines say, there's really only two or three moments in the plot where she's doing or saying something that moves the plot. Most of what she is saying is yelling at him telling him he's not doing a good job or she is literally mute. She is muted for the movie and we can make that a sacrifice. We can make that a display of her strength, which I think you're right. They do really well. They do that really well. She stays quiet. That is hard when you're dealing with dumb and dumber. Um, like, but, but as far as like, when we talk about standpoint, one of the things you're going to learn is men ask questions or women ask questions and men answer them. So that's just a very basic thing to go looking for. The first thing a woman says, is it a question? You get it? And then we talk about the power dynamics there. What happens if women are always asking questions and men are always giving answers? 
women could be talking more than men, but the power is still in the men's hands in those circumstances. You get it? And I didn't do the line by line for this movie, but I was watching her closely, and I, that's kind of how I came away with it. I don't know, because I feel like particularly in that scene where she rescues the lady from the brothel, she's yes, not that's asking what, questions. You know, she again, shows up. I wrote and in my notes, is, I said one hour, 21 minutes and 15 seconds. Well, earlier than that, earlier than that, she, you know, when she is playing the mute and she has to listen to the guys like trying to scheme around her like she's right. a dipshit. And, and she and, she is capable completely in that situation. And she comes back after having rescued the situation to Roka Roka Rhoda and she's like um she's like this is ridiculous me having yeah. to having to do this. She doesn't She's just she's, calmly she, leading the horses back up the road like I, she's very I, I, capable in that. Like I don't feel like she's asking questions of but I do feel but, like the entire movie she is observing him for sure. She's watching and learning him from him and she's but mute, also like, yeah, but you know, they it's worked like, it mean, into the storyline somehow, it, it, and but, she but, hates it the it, entire time. It might as well be the Little Mermaid. I just there's so it's, when 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 most movies are going to take lines from women anyway, then even if we make her muteness a sign of strength, it's playing into that history. Mm. I don't know. I feel like it'd be a great paper, and I think it would be interesting because I think you're right that it is very easy to come expecting a weak female lead and expecting a nag or a bitch and to overlook possibility here. I think that, again, I said that's worth emphasizing and I want to emphasize that. I think that's worth it because it's possible that's what I'm doing. But um, yeah. Eli put in I, the chat, he says that her words saved the day at the end and it's true. Her words and her her compassion and strong leadership and decision-making at the that, end is like she truly asserts herself in a way that kind of combines everything I feel like, like, it's pretty smart, actually. Yeah, it's true. If that moment in that, where they're tied up the night before they're going to be executed, like, she's showing some guts, she's calling some shots. I said that's where she kind of becomes the princess. In, in that case, you could view this movie as a coming-of-age movie, in, in which case she plays a pretty central role. And then I'm looking at her minutes on screen and lines, and I'm like, that's weird, though, for the, the like, main plot character. You get it? It's like in any other movie, she's the primary character of the movie. No, for sure. It would be awesome if she was the potentially the main character of the movie. Um, it would be a different film altogether. Yeah, um, it would be. It she would could be. shout but, all she wants then, and I'd be like, awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but But it's also interesting to see it from the point of view of two pieces of shit. Um, yeah. So... Two, can, can we touch on that real quick? Because I know we're on time, but I, I want to hit this real quick. We talked about it at the top, and we don't have time to really do it. When we talk about tropes and conventions, we use this term a lot. It's a cookie cutter. You have to get from here to there. You have to tell a story. You can fit lots of different stories and lots of different kinds of characters into a cookie cutter, but at the end of the day, it's going to carry the same weight. And the two tropes that we took away from this movie that I'd kind of read about was, number one, we said it was like an on-the-road coming-of-age adventure action story. You've got a party of friends, a band of friends. That means you're going to have a certain number of characters. There's going to have to be a hierarchy. That right away is writing your story for you. It's literally writing your story for you. Um, And then the second trope that we identified as being really prominent, which is one that you just mentioned on, Charles, is like you're, you're following these two, quote, lesser characters. Where the, the movie is primarily about like C-3PO and R2-D2 with all of the heroes going on up above them. And we had said Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of do that. And a couple of other movies kind of do that. And it's interesting because when you talk about power and politics and troping, 
the the, the narrative and the story is going to weigh on that. But just the sheer shape of the cookie cutter is going to force your plot into certain priorities. You get it? Lesser characters have to be shown as lesser. So how are we going to do that? How do we make these people idiots? You get it? How do we make them dumb? How do we make them like how do we make the audience not like them? And so we're going to turn to things like selfishness. We're going to turn to things like perversion. We're going to turn to things like, um, uh, you know, like uh, a cowardice and stuff like that. And suddenly you get a pretty predictable story. You get it? It, Mm -hmm. The characters, it could be on Tatooine or it could be in Japan, you know, and it could be a robot or it could be a person and they could be saying totally different words. But what the plot does and the way that it moves is pretty much the same. And it's one thing to find power politics within the narrative itself and what people say. It's another thing to look at what happens if we just use the same kind of cookie cutters again and again and again. And here I think we said we get a lot of class warfare and also uh, quite a bit of misogyny. (laughs) Definitely. But for, I think, 1958, it's pretty... I don't know. It's a little bit maybe ahead of its time. How do you feel that she she holds up to Sally, I think, pretty well? Yeah. This is the strongest mm-hmm. woman we've had on low bar, but she's well over it in a lot right, of ways, right? For sure. And we probably aren't going to have one for a long time again. And, I, and um, again, sadly. I think we, yeah, right. By by focusing the way we have, we've probably ruined this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We need to find better movies. Yeah, Can we I will eventually. But yeah, yeah, go on. One last question from a production standpoint. I noticed this because for me, this it made me think of Star Wars, which is obviously riffing this. What does a wipe do? Why does it wipe from left to right or from right to left? Sometimes I, I made notes. It's like it goes left to right. It goes right to left. Sometimes it would go twice to the left and twice to the right. Like in my mind, I'm like a wipe is a transition, whereas a fade to black or a cut is like a punctuation or a termination point. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, Let's as, ask Eli since Eli is yeah. a professional um, editor. Yeah, right? Like I, I should have primed you with this to give you some thought, some time to think about it, but star it, it feels storybooky to me. It is. It's like turning a page, hmm. right? I but, mean, it is, it's, a, it's a good way to keep uh, momentum going um, while you know, transitioning between scenes, first of all. It moves. Um, yeah. You, yeah, you keep moving. Um, it's also a way to tell kind of like a passage of time if you think of it that way. Right. So like when you, the first time you see it is when they steal the rice, right. That was just mm-hmm. that quick interstitial you wipe through and then they're on to the next scene. And without that, it would seem like you would need a, you know, you might need a setup shot to get you into that next scene. You might need some other um, kind of way to primer you before you get into that next scene or else it's kind of like a straight jump, right. You would just see this one shot of them and then you're on to the next shit and it just doesn't, make a lot of sense editorially um so it's kind of a way to move through in that regard and kind of a way um to conserve uh your uh shot real estate if you want to put it that way yeah um, and that's that's just me kind of coming off the cuff with this but um that's how i see it do you find um do you find wipes and things like that particularly like the ones in star wars or something eli do those feel dated to you now a hundred percent. I mean, mm-hmm. now you use I'm nodding them, vigorously. You, you use them as uh, kind of pointed representations of datedness or corniness nowadays. Like that's yeah. I was going to say, right. You, like you'll see it in a Tarantino movie or something. And he's like specifically referencing that feel. 
Right. It feels like a PowerPoint mm-hmm. thing to me. You get it? It feels PowerPointy. Like, I mean, and I know PowerPoint came later, but like, it feels the, that way. The joke in editing is that you add a star wipe in, right? Jaws star wipes because it, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that that came with some of that like first editing software. You could just hit the star wipe button, and it would like yeah. give you that transition. Right. Corny. Right. But it does. It makes it feel to me. It it makes it feel more storybooky, a little more romantic, and uh, you know. I hadn't really thought about it like turning a page, you know, so much, but, and, and you said like, it helps you save real estate. I'm, I'm very explicit. Like movie is a, a movie is a real estate piece and there's only so much time. And every second is millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. Like, I mean, they put a lot into the sound of that door closing and open on whatever it is we're opening on. There's a big mm-hmm. choices that go in there. And so it's interesting. Um, I'd never thought about it. But it's it would be interesting to go look and see like if we get a wipe, do it, then do we get an establishing shot? Because we may not need one, because we're kind of following characters. You get it instead of cutting. I don't know. I feel like Star Wars did. They would they would go into that like giant space shot and a spaceship after a wipe and shit like. I feel like it. What really made me sit up and take notice is when it wipes to people like covering land. It's like it it, it it wipes across, but then we're far away from the characters and they're way down in the mountains and you hear the music and they're trundling along, making the journey. Right? That's just a good passage of time, you know? It'd be like right? a, fade, a fade would do the same thing there, something like that. If I ever make a movie like with a guy like Toshiro Mifune and I get to do that reveal where he's standing up there showing off his thighs looking at you from a low angle... And then I'm going to do a wipe right to left and then go back to our heroes. And then the moment that they start talking, I'm going to then wipe again left to right and go <laughs> right thighs. back to Toshiro Mifuni and his thighs. Right. <laughs> right. I found myself wanting to say a fade is a wipe coming forward. You get it? A fade is like we're going into the image, whereas the wipe comes from the side and like shunts it out. So like the wipe feels like a railroad car to me. Whereas the fade feels like kind of like oncoming headlights. And I always felt like a fade this. was like a longer passage of time when things me, me too. faded, perhaps. Yeah, because yeah. it's like diffusing and blurring together. It's mm-hmm. All of this stuff is so interesting because, again, like here is not where the, the, the narrative politics happen, but there are definitely political ramifications of these kind of choices, and I just think they're so cool. Were wipes already feeling dated by the time Star Wars came out? I wonder. Maybe that's a question for next Time. Yeah, we're too young. <laughs> right. But it's like Godfather. Know, and <laughs> Godfather had a bunch of star wipes. <laughs> yeah. They added those out for the Blu-ray edition. All right. <laughs> Is it these archetypal characters that these guys represent, right? Princess Yuki, um, Roto Roto, whatever his name is. Uh, could you make the argument that they are so archetypal because of our uh, the lens we view them in from these lesser characters, right? The way these guys are seeing mm. them is as huh. these archetypal characters, you know what I mean? And it's very, mm. you don't get many scenes without our, you know, our two poor protagonists. You're right. With You're right. Everybody else is interacting. You do get a few, but, um, you know, could you make that argument that he's this tough guy because that's how they view him? They view him you as You see this, it from the point of view as exactly. two measly worms. Exactly, the shit worms. Right. If the movie is told from Hayo's point of view, you would see Rokuroda kind of Just, more on a on an equal level. Right. Another guy. The conversations yeah. would be different between them. you know. Right. Totally. That's an interesting question. The movie doesn't explicitly do that. And I think it would be fascinating if it did. I talk a lot about The Wire and how if you've ever seen the show The Wire, 
it shifts focus. So you follow the drug dealers the first year, the cops the first year, the drug dealers the second year, the union workers that ship the drugs the third year, the newspaper people, the kids on the corner. And every time you make that move, people who were good guys become bad guys. And people that were bad guys are now like your favorite character because of the way the storytelling changes. And it, that that happens in Rashomon, another Akira Kurosawa film. That is exactly one story told by like five or six different huh. vignettes of other characters. So that's you're yeah. referencing. You're referencing another Akira Kurosawa. It's a fun question. I mean, it's an interesting question. And if that was a specific choice, I think that. It again, what we're going to say is it still participates, enables, and plays on those same archetypes, but it puts it in a kind of like um, perspective that's somewhat reflexive, I think. I don't know. I dig it. What's next, Charles? This is we got one more episode for this batch. So I feel like mm-hmm. we're watching movies that like inspired Star Wars. I don't know. There can't be a third one of those, can there? Like, what are we doing here? What's going on? We're going to watch Star Wars, Aaron. We're going to watch A New Hope. <laughs> are you serious? So, no, we're not. Yeah. We are? Yes, we oh, are. Dude. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna hop onto onto ah. Disney Plus, and I'm going to watch Star Wars. Okay, this is, I think, the penultimate American war movie. I, like, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Everyone says it's Saving Private Ryan, and I'm like, it is Star Wars. I hate to say it, but I feel like it is. I would like to see the true post Saving Private Ryan Star Wars, just an ultra violent fucking. Is it like? Is that Rogue One? Is that? Yeah, yeah but let like, me see Rogue One where people are getting like truly like bisected right? with lasers. They're heading and stuff. that way. Like a lot of the Star Wars spinoff stuff's getting pretty dark. I haven't. I really want to see the new anime Star Wars. That looks intense. But um, Ooh. dude, this is smart. This is my favorite batch so far. Um, I'm really pumped up about it. I dig that we're watching a sci-fi movie without watching a lot of sci-fi movies. I thought about it, and we talked about doing a batch of sci-fi, and I'm like, we could do that, but. But then we're going to talk a lot about science fiction, and we should do that mm-hmm. at some point. But for this particular movie, I feel like it's worth it. I dig it. Dang. Batch 4, Episode 3 is going to be Star Wars. Fuck yeah, man. Okay. It's going to be great. Awesome. my eyes they're dirty stinky filthy pervy ridiculous stupid selfish betrayal (laughs) their music was nice we danced at that fire festival i had a pretty good time who's ready for an execution a podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too charles horgan and aaron donaldson bring you a brand new podcast the real war project Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones, too, in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.